way we grow and produce food is ever-changing, shaped by consumers and the climate in which we live and farm. Research at all points of our food system is essential for continuously improving food's journey from farm to table. The Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange explores timely research innovations and applications that make our food system better than ever. Join us for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MAKE podcast for this week. Um, my name is Derek Bruin. I'm head of Department of Agribusiness and Agricultural Economics at the University of Manitoba. We're here to discuss commodity price spikes, and my guest is David Simino. Thank you, Derek, uh, and welcome, everyone. Uh, Dave Simino with Manitoba Agriculture, and I'm an intelligence specialist on crops, so I spend my time uh, studying and keeping track of crop production, crop prices, world-traded crops, and anything to do with crops. And Dave's group provides some of the price information that uh, is very useful if you're a farmer to see, especially to look at prices, price patterns over time and what prices are doing each week. That's a great service for us academics to track and for our students to kind of get an idea of where real prices are. So I teach agriculture marketing. I've written two articles on the grain supply chain's response to COVID in the Canadian Journal of Ag Economics the last two years. In both of those articles, I was suggesting that the industry's response to COVID was kind of muted, that COVID's impact on grain prices was minor, that the grain supply chain might have even benefited from less demand for transportation services from other sectors. But since early 2021, the world price of wheat and canola have continually climbed upwards. For canola, we hit record highs in May of 2022 of $1,219 a ton or $27 a bushel. That price is 2.2 times higher than it was for an average price in 2019. And now, since that, that was around $500 a ton, since May, the price has fallen $360 a ton, which is a huge piece of price variation that farmers have faced over the last few weeks. Uh, that kind of price spike and fall off is very difficult for us to model. It's kind of outside past trends and, and outside of our recent experiences. So that's why I've asked Dave to come in and kind of talk to us about that. And Dave, the wheat price had, had a similar kind of shift as canola. Yeah, that's correct, uh, Derek. Wheat and other, con- other crops as well, but wheat especially... The timing was slightly different. I think it started a little later than canola and uh, carried on a bit differently. But basically, wheat started at around $7 a bushel, which is 250 or so Canadian dollars per ton. And like I say, it took a little longer than canola to ramp up, but it did uh, basically double to about $14 a bushel, about $500 a ton. And that was just this past spring. And recently, it's tailed off almost as abruptly as it came up. And right now, we're about halfway back down at 400 and some dollars a ton, but it's moving so much all every day. The the volatility, the amount of movement is also pretty unusual uh, in the history of these markets. So just a little bit of Econ 101 for some folks that don't know this market really well, but it's sort of generally true that food has an inelastic demand, that it's a small part of a lot of people's budgets. And so a price can move around a lot and the consumption doesn't change that much. That's why you know, uh, when economists write articles about demand for food, they don't. They can be kind of right a lot of the time by saying we're not going to adjust our demand that much. But we do have very inelastic short-term uh, supply functions as well because it takes an entire year for us to grow the next crop. So for from now till the end of 
next crop year, there's not much we can do to respond to a price spike or a price fall. So that combination of a demand that doesn't shift very much, meeting a shortage, can lead to a big price spike up. So I think that's it's kind of technically what's behind most of the price jumps is we get into inelastic demand with no supply at all. But that's not really true that the world doesn't have a big supply of oil seeds and grains right now. We are actually even even when we were seeing some of the price spikes and it was happening when the, the Ukraine conflict had started. Ukraine is a big grower of rapeseed, but most of that rapeseed was already grown. It was going to be okay because it, and a bunch of it was on the eastern side of uh, or the western side of uh, the Ukraine. So that wasn't a big thing. There is sunflower seeds on the western side of the Ukraine, which could have an impact on the overall world sunflower oil seed market. That's relatively small. That's not what's driving up the price of oil seeds in Canada. We did have a bad canola crop last year. But that should have, if that was going to affect the canola market, should have happened a lot sooner than May of this year. So we're all mm -hmm. a little bit thinking about what caused that price. Yeah. And there's, uh, as an economist, as a student of markets, it is absolutely an interesting time to be watching this. Because as you just said, Derek, if it was simply the shortage of the crop, what we've seen in the past, if you've got a crop shortage, you sort of see it coming as the crop is developing into harvest, the market reacts. And by the time the crop is harvested, it's the reaction is basically done. The market has settled on what they think, what the price should be probably to carry through that year until the next crop arrives. But that isn't what we saw this time. We saw a ramping up and then it just kept going further and further. And there seemed to be little explanation for exactly what was going on. So the other things, Derek, you've talked about uh, about the war that obviously changes economic calculations and expectations for the future. And we've just, I, I, I was going to say we've come out of COVID. I guess we haven't yet, but we, uh, we've certainly had this backdrop of COVID for the last two years where people's behavior has, has had to change. We've seen these lockdowns where you had to buy your goods early, so you have to stockpile much more than you would normally. And you've also seen shortages of things that we hadn't seen previously. So yeah. people's behavior is quite different when you don't know when the next opportunity to buy that will be. How much do I need to buy? Yeah. And and through the entire supply chain of of oil, if you're supplying canola oil to the to the rest of the world, there's a there's a storage and movement of, of the oil seed. There's people that crush the oil that store the seed at the crushing plant. They create oil and store some of the oil at the at the, the crushing plant, then they store some of it at the place they bottle it, and then people store it in the shelves, and then you the consumer sometimes store it. And so that demand for the stocks of it themselves, and stocks is what we used to track. Mm -hmm. How high are the, the world's largest, uh, the stocks of given commodities? That used to drive price. But you were mentioning pay off the stocks with inflation as a factor here. Yes. I neglected to mention inflation that just perked up in the last five, six months here, seemingly catching most of the world off guard. I mean, we had been through the pandemic you know, you're stocking up on your toilet paper and your food supplies just because you didn't know when you would get it next. Personally, me, I wasn't necessarily worried that the price was going to change. But then in the past few months, we've seen the price of everything start moving. And that adds a whole different layer. Because now if I think the price of a bottle of canola oil is going to be 20% higher a month from now, well, that gives me a whole additional incentive to buy more now if I can, if I can afford to. All of the consumers who have the capacity to stock up a little bit, it's, it's almost like a good investment. You're saving money by buying more today. 
So when you think of that on a, in an aggregate on a global scale, if everyone buys one more bottle earlier, that's a lot more demand suddenly in that, in that period of time. Like everything is measured through time here. And that impact, I think, is quite unusual because we haven't seen, you know, aside from the stockpiling and the COVID, we haven't seen this kind of consumer behavior. And if anything, our economic system over the last several decades has, has benefited greatly from efficiency of, you know, maintaining minimal stocks and just-in-time delivery and all of these things that uh, paid off well until the system started to break down and have delays and weren't able to supply you know, the products we were used to in a timely manner. So all of these things are feeding into a, a demand to stockpile, which really wasn't there until very recently. So it's like a new layer of demand. But I think as soon as inflation starts to slow down, that stockpile is a rush back in. And I think the Alphonse Weirzink is the lead author of an article in Agriculture Systems that went through this, especially in the meat supply chains, that when they had the some of the blockages in um, in the in the red in all the meat supply chains in the first year of COVID, they had these price spikes and then came back to earth relatively quickly. And I think it's because there was this actually storage, like there was animals pushing into the plants when they were shut down. So when they started up, there was lots of supply, and per that drove the prices back down relatively fast. And I think we could see all those stocks that people were worried about when they start to get to relax or the payoff to the supply of the storage gets, if it, if it ever went negative, if we ever had a deflationary period, it would fly onto the marketplace and cause a rush back down to low prices. Yes, and that is often what you see in, in markets when there is a sudden price spike. The drop back down is often just as drastic, just as sharp, and just as unpredictable. And it's for that very reason that you described. And I think... It's hard to predict when exactly that will happen. And when you're talking about agricultural products like canola or wheat that, that progress through the, through the supply chains, through the processing, transportation chains, there is some amount of product stored at each of those steps, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And you can have a surplus at one step and a shortage at the next. And right now, all the logistical difficulties we're having are creating this kind of noise. But as you say, when it starts to work itself out, yeah. it'll just release. And I think we've seen that a little bit just recently on canola and wheat and seeing the markets come back a little bit. There's some of the edge of that panic has subsided a bit. And it's hard to say now when, where do we settle? Yeah, I, I feel like we owe, uh, so first off, if you'd like to learn more about this, please take uh, agricultural and, agribusiness and agricultural economics at the University of Manitoba. Or Dave might say University of Saskatchewan is an okay <laughs> operation as well. <laughs> I, I feel like um, maybe we should almost apologize to farmers for saying we don't really know whether or not this is a good time to sell. I, I think the crop, while we still have hail crops going, cutting through, golf side balls going through there and signing to grow for, even though it's come down $360, it's still a really high price and promising to deliver $850 canola right now and then not getting the crop. And the market could do some more drastic falling. It could get back to so we all watched this happen in 2012, where the sell, they sold a whole bunch of the spring crop at a fairly high price because it was a really good historical price, and then the price went even higher that fall. I think we're kind of further along than that on on kind of the impacts of this market, but I don't. Know. <laughs> I honestly I, I apologize for not knowing more about that. It used to be. Predicting a $500 canola wheat was, you felt somewhat confident, but nowadays it looks like a really, really hard price to nail down. 
Well, and I have to admit, uh, Derek, the decades now that I've spent watching markets have only taught me that I am not able to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> never mind what's going to happen in three months. And these markets have absolutely hammered that lesson home again. So uh, what I've said today, I wasn't, uh, as you've noted, I and uh, apologize as well if there are producers listening, and uh, it wasn't intended as advice. Yeah. Um, no. It is a difficult, difficult time to be a producer right now with the amount of volatility in pricing. So not only do you have to try to market a crop that for most of the year, you're not even sure how much you're going to produce because there's there's mother nature at play. But we've also seen, as we've referred to the inflationary aspects, like the, the cost of inputs, yeah. the price of energy that affects everyone, but certainly farmers of your oil and your fuel and the fertilizer market would be a whole nother market we could touch on. Like the economics... There's so much, so many moving parts right now that is is really hard to uh, to make a prediction and make a give some advice that is specific in general because each situation is different as well. Yeah, I I think the best you can do is kind of look at that budget at the beginning of the year and is that the crop that's most likely going to make money if I have an average year? I mean, I I think that's still a good practice, but the marketing side, I think, just given the the vagaries of this market. It's really scary to price very much until God it didn't win. Yes, and there were last year, 2021, the, there were many producers who experienced a pretty significant crop failure. And if you've priced crop that you end up not producing, that's a, that's a very risky and negative outcome. So I think quite a few are uh, keeping that in mind as they're planning their, making their plans uh, at the moment as well. Yeah, that being said, 1219 I bet the price for uh, November deliveries will also spike in in uh, May so uh, you know I, I think it, it it was there was a time there where it would probably been a really good time to lock in a sale but if you didn't produce it and then you had to show up and sell it it would be expensive it might not be if it drops down I guess you could buy it for not that much I think that's I think we've kind of covered everything I wanted to talk to about Dave and we're approaching a good time to, to shut it down that sounds all right. I think that's all right. I uh, the one thing that we we've talked around, I think, but uh, we've talked about how interesting this time is, and I guess I have it in the back of my mind, but maybe we haven't said it front and center. This is sort of compared to the usual boring time or the usual, and there have been interesting times over the last couple of decades as well, but none are quite as wild as what we've seen. Mm -hmm. And often it's when analysts and people who study markets speak, they talk about market fundamentals. And usually we are referring to the, you know, the very raw production, supply, production, and demand for consumption. And we sort of talked around that a bit. But those, those big pieces are still, still there. That's eventually what the market will come back to. So we still have capacity to produce these grains. Some of the supply costs have absolutely changed, like when you look at fuel and fertilizer. So we may not go back to where we were even two or three years ago just because the cost structures have changed. But I do think that as the world works through all of these uh, all of these disruptions that we've experienced, we will settle back into some sort of yeah. normal, more calm period, probably that won't be as high a price. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think we have responded to these high prices. And we, we, we did this in 2008, and, and 7, 8, 9, prices really climbed up. And farmers produced a lot more. And mm -hmm. we had record crops in 13, 14, 15 after the fact. So after we invest in better seeds and, and, and farmers get much more precise in some of their fertilizer management, which 
that our understanding of that, the, the payoff to understanding that better is getting more and more. So again, good research at the University of Manitoba doing some of that. And I think that, that you're right. I think we can respond to the, the normal pattern over the last uh, 60 years has been to respond to those higher prices with a lot of production. I expect we will get that too. And the other thing that, you know, I, I think that we haven't talked about on the demand side, the demand is shifting around. And if demand starts to, if demand starts to decrease the demand for animals, which, you know, there was a, when we had the paleo low carb diets, there was this big demand for livestock. If it goes the other way and we stop eating less animals, those animals, some of them are eating three pounds of grain for every one pound of food that they're making. That's, that's another big source of supply, which is really a decrease in the demand. And we don't know mm -hmm. those customers too well. We don't know that individual piling up that looks like world demand. That's shifting around a lot too. Yes, all, all very interesting. And I think the, the one, what you just said, Derek, it's just, it's, it underlines how much people, the market, but really it's people and businesses and so on respond mm -hmm. to changing situation, changing prices and changing productive capability. And when we have an extreme price level, we are freshly reminded that people can respond quite strongly, often in ways that we didn't even think of, mm -hmm. either to produce more, to substitute into some other product, or to consume less. Like uh, it's, it's really very interesting how strongly the response makes itself known in yeah. these extreme scenarios. Yeah. Uh, and and one thing that you know some some of the guys here at the university in our department were looking at the response of uh, individual consumers within Canada to respond to changes in prices in the supply managed goods, but it was it was really they really did identify how more elastic like how much they how much more they respond to price the very low wage earners are, and it's even worse for. You know, communities like right now, we're consuming most of our grains and oil seeds in highly processed form. If it's a small part, that big canola price and wheat price that we are talking about, very small part of your grocery budget, tiny. The the, the amount of barley and beer, I think, roll, roll, rounds down to zero. I think your entire uh, calorie supply is coming from bags of wheat and pulses. It's a huge difference in terms of your your. Uh, stability of your supplies. Those price spikes mean a lot of different things to some of the poorest people in the world. The one part of that, though, that there's a little bit of positive stuff. Again, I know that Alphonse at Wealth worked on some of this, uh, was that most of the world's subsistence farmers, that may, they make up a big portion of the world poor, they're also farmers. So when the price of their commodity has spiked up and they have any surplus, they're actually wealthier. When we worry about them, if they're farming and those price spikes happen and they still produce a crop, they're actually sometimes better off. So uh, thank you for your time, everyone. I, I think we'll call it there. Thank you very much for coming in today, today Dave. Uh, thank you. I think, I think we can call that done. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.